0: Giant robot smashing the other giant
1: robots. Welcome to the Giant Robots Smashing the Other Giant Robots Podcast. I'm Chad Paitel. This is the weekly technical podcast discussing development, design, and the business of software development. And today I'm joined with Kyle Fiedler and Adish Pandit. Welcome, gentlemen.
2: Hello. Hello.
1: And I thought we'd come together today and talk about a couple different things that uh We've been having an ongoing conversation about it at ThoughtBot, and we wrote about it on the blog recently. It's something that I've been thinking about for a little while, and Odish, uh, you were spouting off about it on Twitter the other day. Spouting off. <laughs> and that is that about a year and a half ago, maybe, we stopped using story points at ThoughtBot. And I realized that we never talked about it or blogged about it, that transition. And so, i uh, love to start there. Adish, uh, what was the conjecture that you made on Twitter?
0: So, I started with a question, which was um, that I felt like story points weren't useful, and I asked people to convince me otherwise. And I had a pretty good discussion. I'll post to the tweet in the show notes. I have a lot to say about story points, but I mm-hmm. think that at the core is a couple of big pieces. I think at their face value they 're not as accurate as we pretend they are um, and they 're not really that reliable there's the business of estimating software is really really difficult uh, there's a lot of things that go into creating error within the difference between what we think something will take in terms of time to build and how long it actually takes and that 's all okay uh, it's research time it's trying a couple of different ways to do things it 's refactoring it 's hitting a dead end and backing up um and rarely it's junking the whole escapade and calling it a spike and moving on but trying to put an estimate on how long that takes is really really difficult
1: right i think that a lot of the confusion and trouble with story points comes with misconceptions around what they are so you you just actually did it yourself and it's it's When you need to be so careful about talking about something, that's a big red flag. So you said estimating how long something takes. And actually, that's not what story points are at all. Story points are the amount of effort that something will take relative to other stories on the project. So when you estimate, you know, uh, try to give something points and say this is a two-point or a four-point or an eight-point story, in theory, that actually has nothing to do with you 're saying any specific amount of time that 's going to take you 're only estimating relative effort, um, and I feel like that it 's impossible over time for any project team to get away from the the misconception that it 's actually estimating time
0: yeah, I totally agree i mean I, I, I skip this step completely and, and it really does feel like there's i think even remember one of my first days I asked like how long should one point take and you know somebody gave me a number. And right. I think it was like, well, one point's like two hours and, you know, eight points should take your whole day or two days, something. I don't know. Somebody made up a number and I was like, okay, that's great. And I think that the for us as consultants, it's really easy also and makes sense for our clients to who are paying us on our time to worry about how much time we're spending on things and then also turn those points into estimates of time.
1: Right. So I'm coming from a perspective where, We didn't used to use story points. We didn't used to do that. And then we got into it and it worked, generally speaking, really, really well for a lot of the same reasons that I think people think story points are valuable. And I often use the line when I was talking about them, running the playbook workshops we did and writing the playbook and and that kind of thing. I would say like velocity and story points are the most effective way of estimating software that I've ever seen. And the big caveat that's at the end of that that sort of gets left off is like when it works well. (laughs) And it really breaks down at certain points in in projects. And a lot of this comes from the kind of things that we do. But one of the big challenges we always face is the fluctuation in velocity that naturally occurs as part of the software development cycle particularly at the start of a project when you're doing planning and really getting up to speed, like to then immediately have the conversation about why velocity is only four points or whatever is like you're, you're missing the f- forest for the trees. And so it was continually frustrating to say, to have the conversation that, well, velocity, that's what velocity is showing now. But it will change next week, and that's okay. And that's, it's a conversation point. There's not necessarily anything wrong. It's a tool for communication to occur around. And I think that's one of the the big things that advocates of putting points on stories and, and myself, what I, well, what I loved about it is that when it's working well, not only do you have an accurate estimate of when a individual story is going to get done, but if you start to deviate from that, or when a story gets an eight point estimate on it, it becomes a very concrete objective thing that someone can look at and say, let's have a conversation about this.
2: You just started to answer one of the questions that I was going to bring up, which Mm -hmm. was why did we start doing story points to begin with? Um, we're kind of talking about why we're changing away from them, but what was the reasoning behind uh, using them in the first place? What was the benefit that we got out of it? I think it'd be great to hear that from your standpoint, Chad.
1: Yeah, I think that if I had to actually pinpoint the point, it was when we started using Pivotal Tracker because Pivotal Tracker was the first tool we used that supported points. Previously, we had used Basecamp, or lighthouse ticketing systems for tracking the work being done and we switched to Pivotal Tracker and Pivotal Tracker had the ability to estimate stories and then draw out a schedule based on the velocity and the estimates and we started to see how accurate it could be and you know the beneficial side of it I think we had a lot of success doing that but Every project went through this period of time. where, like, well, we don't know the velocity yet. Well, you said it was an important tool that we're going to use for estimating. What, what's the – well, we don't know it yet. It hasn't been established because we just started working. Okay, so that means that we don't have that tool that we thought was valuable. No, nope, we don't have it yet. Um, but we're going to start calculating it now. To avoid that problem, you might have an average estimate, Right. So you might say, okay, we don't know what the velocity is at the start of a project, but we're going to use a number like 20 um, just because maybe that's what we had on the last project or whatever. Uh, and then you get into a scenario where you've established what the default velocity is going to be, and that works a lot of the time. But then you get a project where which radically differs from that. And instead of being perceived as okay or something that's just going to work itself out, it's perceived as a problem that needs to be addressed. And you end up in defensive mode about something that that you don't need to be defensive about. But that, that that's a long way of, of answering how we got started was that the tool um, that we switched to supported and we started playing around with it and saw good results from it.
0: One of the things I found difficult was that intuitively, both clients and I and other developers were led down this exact road where you assume these estimates are reasonably accurate and that they equate to some amount of time. What I found frustrating is the amount of time spent trying to unlearn that and trying to say, well, even though it intuitively points you in this direction, actually what it means is this is an estimation of effort, And um, we shouldn't adjust it over time. And velocity is something that gives us a sense of how fast we're going or how much we should expect to accomplish in the next week. But it also is an estimate and so on and so forth. And then you're giving this long speech and then you're like, okay, if you buy into all these caveats, then this intuitive thing that you think is wrong, then we have a useful tool on our hands. And I think at some point it became, for me, more effort to explain all of that than it was worth.
1: Right. And when we started doing projects that didn't use story points because teams started to experiment with that and try it out, the big argument I had is like, well, that's fine as long as everything is going right. But the what happens when things go wrong and we need, we, when we start going slowly or, or whatever, we've lost the tool that we were relying on to show us and to tell us those things and to force us to have those conversations. And what sort of finally did it for me is a combination of realizing that we didn't even have that tool to begin with, really. Like, we were spending so much time and effort justifying velocity and story points anyway that that tool that I thought was our safety net was actually not really uh, adding anything. And if anything, it was causing more overhead uh, in the long run. And the other is... If it's only a safety net, then that argument sort of goes away if we consistently have successful projects without that tool. And I think a lot of that comes from ThoughtBot generally running successful projects and having people who communicate really well and who are experienced and focused on building something simple um, that is a great product. And when there are issues and, you know, we do weekly retrospectives where we address specific risks and concerns that people have and, you know, come up with action items to address them and all that stuff. And I think when you have all those other systems in place, you can, you find that you can run successfully without the tool of story points. Kyle, from a designer perspective, I know one of the issues we would often have with stories was trying to accurately give them points As sort of through the life cycle of a story, from concept, through design, through implementation, to deploy. Like, that's actually a lot of work of varying different people and different skill sets. And we could all come together as a team and estimate those. But with design, there is a certain amount of, oh, this will be done when it's done, when we all feel good about what we're building. I felt like that was a constant tension, too. Did you feel that?
2: Yeah, I always felt that, you know, we were constantly being like, okay, development will be two points and how much more time will design need? And because of that, you know, I would grab a story and feel like it should take a certain amount of time when maybe it would take less or, you know, I mean, this is the same thing getting back to what Adarsh said at the beginning is like, it's really hard to do estimating. Um, especially sometimes for design stuff, especially at the beginning of a project for us, uh, we're doing a lot of research and planning and sometimes that takes a lot of time and sometimes we hit the nail on the head and right. we're validated at the beginning of the design process. Right. So,
1: and people who are listening, who, who are advocates of story points and myself included, would often make the argument that we we just overthought it again. It's really supposed to be, just think about it like small, medium, or large. Like estimating shouldn't be hard. It's just small, medium, or large, right? Is this a large thing? Is it a medium thing? Is it small? And you don't need it to be perfect, but you know make some estimate about that scale of it. And I think that that's all well and good, but it erodes over time. And people, you know, people want more specificity. There are gotchas, there are exceptions. And there's also, you've taken something which was an abstraction, small, medium, large, and put numbers on it. And when you put numbers on it and put that with a group of developers and designers and clients and stakeholders and all that stuff, they want it to be specific. They want a science. They want to know when that number starts to deviate. And that's not the point of the whole system.
0: Yeah, I think one of the the troubles I have with it is that I think it's demotivating. I think that the goal is really to make sure that we're managing and making sure that the team is working efficiently. But I think it has the opposite effect. I mean, just the sort of fake estimation processes is demotivating in and of itself when people are like, "Okay, well, how much is it going to take for us to add OAuth? Okay, maybe that's pretty straightforward, but how long is it going to take for us to add this other complicated feature? And you're just making up numbers. or or points, and that, you know, if you're forcing a a process like that, it can be frustrating. Also, it goes into this process of of sprint planning, and I think the word sprint is really loaded. I mean, it's really about moving people and getting people to work fast. I think that there's also something around trust and the degree to which people, perhaps, I think there's a misunderstanding or a gulf of understanding between non-technical managers and technical developers. And this is one of the tools that I think people try and use to bridge that gap. Um, But I feel like what it ends up being is this handle on which you push on people. And I feel like it leads to low motivation, which itself leads to probably low productivity. But that's just a kind of gestalt feeling.
1: Yeah. One of the tenets of the Agile Manifesto was people over... Processes, you know, and I I think that when we question a practice that we're doing or a process that we have, I think it comes often comes back to that. If the tool we're using or the process we're using is getting in the way of just dealing with each other as people with a sort of an inherent trust we have, and, and getting in the way of communication or making it so that we can't just talk to each other, you know, and I know that story points in a lot of ways are meant to be a guidepost so that you can have that conversation. And I think that we generally work pretty well with people and we'll have those conversations anyway. And so if velocity and story points start to become a distraction, uh, it's a good way to eliminate that distraction because you're still having those conversations
2: anyway. I've also found that it leads to better discussions around the stories. In, in the past we've been talking more about the effort involved mm-hmm. instead of, you know, the benefit or the outcome. Uh, and I, I've started to see, or at least on the projects that I'm working on, that we're talking more about the outcome or the benefit to the user and to the application, as opposed to the amount of effort involved. And in the past, like clients would order, they, they would use the story points to order the next up queue, um, of what, What features will be built? Instead, I'm seeing them more organizing the queue based on the importance for the user. Uh, That's something that Adarsh touched on a little bit on Twitter. And I think that's one of the most important things that we can come out of this is that we're, we're, for each one of these stories, we're we're having better discussions about both the effort that it takes and the outcome, the desired outcome for these features.
0: Yeah, and I think that's sort of why. Kyle's post is so interesting is because I think it pushes the goal or the point of doing all of this up to the front. So why, I mean, to rephrase it, why are we estimating things? Like what is the, let's dig another layer deeper. Why do we want to actually estimate things? Well, we want to know when things are done. And I think that that's flipping the problem around the wrong way. I think when I talk to clients and and teams and I you know and they're like well we have this list of features of things that we want to build, I feel like it's all backwards. I feel like if you are working with job stories or or true user stories, you're working on a user problem and trying to use software to s- solve that problem, not build a list of features that you feel like are useful.
1: Yeah. So when we were using story points we would have our retrospective and planning meetings. And at the end of that process, we would go over the stories that were not estimated yet. And we would put estimates on them as a group. And uh, we would go down the list and we do weekly iterations at ThoughtBot. And so some of the things would fall out of the iteration and we would reprioritize based on what was expected to get done. I think, is that accurate in terms of the overview of what it used to be like? Yep. And now we still do a weekly retrospective and planning meeting, and we use Trello. Uh, we have a column generally of next up, and it's prioritized top to bottom you know, of the order that we're going to do things in. And we don't estimate things anymore, but I think in general we go down that list, and any new stories we... Talk about. And I think it's reasonable in that conversation, if not common, for someone to say, well, this is a big item or this is going to take a while. And to then talk about why that is, if everyone doesn't understand. What we lack is in Pivotal Tracker when you have everything estimated and then you make a new story and you put eight points on it. If Pivotal Tracker predicts that eight points can't fit in the current week, then that story will fall out of the current week. It's very, very explicit that that story is not going to get done. I think that that, when it's working well, is a really effective tool, especially in a client consultant or team sort of manager relationship. That's a really um, powerful tool. Like how do we deal with that now? What's the general flow of knowing whether things are going to get done or not? or when a new story is like not going to get done.
2: The only time for me in the recent past that that has become an issue is towards the end of a project of Mm -hmm. what stories are we going to get into the project and what stories are going to have to fall below the line of maybe work on later or, you know, an internal team takes those over. And it's just been making sure that we have open communication with the client throughout that last week um, or throughout like a launch week. If there are specific dates that we're reaching for to making sure that there's constant communication, like we have Slack open, making sure that we're all commenting in Trello, but it's certainly not as explicit in the tool. But personally, I've found that to be a good thing because it's made us talk more about a lot of the stories inside of Trello. Yeah.
1: I was realizing as I was describing the process that we've actually made another change to the way that we work, which I think has an impact on that. And on on this whole thing, and that's we do more continuous delivery now. So back when we were really on story points and using them a lot and velocity in Pivotal Tracker, we would say we do weekly iterations. And that really meant in a lot of cases that we were deploying once a week. We would design at the beginning of the week, do it, uh, deploy to staging, do acceptance, deploy to production at the end of the week, everything in a batch and we now no longer do that really i mean it's each individual card is going through that process and being deployed to production as soon as it's ready and each card is you know will, will sometimes deploy depending on the project many many times per week to production with new features and so when you're working even more iteratively like that i think that the need to know in advance what's going to be done or not in the week uh, sort of gets eliminated because it's very obvious the flow and the progress and when something is stalled, when things are flowing through the system like that and being deployed continuously.
0: I think the language you're using is really interesting. You know, flow and continuous. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think that it's almost like we're getting away from a project as a thing with a continuous, with a, with a defined beginning and end date. But really, we acknowledge, finally, that software is never complete. As Dan Croke says, There's only comfortable resting points. And everything is continuous. And as a result, even... Blocking around a week or two weeks and calling that a sprint feels antithetical to that idea. I think it was uh, Pat Brisbane and Derek Pryor that opened a Trello research Trello card internally and tried to coin this term continuous planning. So instead of having planning meetings, and the retro is still important, but instead of having a long planning meeting, the goal would be to continuously do that over time And deploy continuously as well and just have that flow and that rhythm keep churning at a good sustainable pace um, while we have periodic discussions about where our arbitrary deadline is where we're going to deploy and wrap the project up or maybe not i think that the continuous element of that is really interesting
1: yeah so many of our projects are we're developing product uh we're developing a product in many cases we're building the first version of a product working with a Founder or co founders. And we're going to transition seamlessly to a team that's going to take over for us after we've bootstrapped and launched the product and the team. And so we're not working towards this deadline. And even when we launch, you know, we're deploying to production that launch the smallest possible thing that we think is going to be viable. But we're not done then. And we very rarely are. then just sort of pencils down, done, or we continue. The next week is more stories, more feedback, talking to users, talking to customers, and making changes. So it's much more like an ongoing product development team than a traditional outsourced development project. So I think all these things combined got us to a situation where the overhead of those story points was not as valuable. Kyle, uh, so we, we've alluded to it a couple times. You published a blog post on the blog, which we'll link in the show notes. Uh, you can get those show notes at giantrobots.fm slash 132 about another change we've made to stories. We've been experimenting it with a while for a while and you've been leading this up quite a bit. And that's jobs story format or jobs to be done story format. Can you talk about that a little bit?
2: Yeah. So traditionally, we've been using user stories, uh, which has a format of as a uh, persona or role, I want to do an action uh, so that I get an outcome of benefit. Uh, And this has been, I mean, since I've joined ThoughtBot, we've been using these user stories to give us an indication of what it is the user is going to get out of the new features that we're building and not be just a simple to-do list for us to build. That way we can have a lot of the conversations that we've been talking about uh, with the client about what the best solution might be for for that problem. And and so we've switched up the language a little bit, and instead of saying as a persona or role, um, we're putting the designer, developer, and client in the shoes of the user and saying, when the user's work or life context, I want to give them motivation so that I get an outcome uh, or benefit. And so this subtle shift in wording, it was fairly easy to change to. And I've found that me personally and the, the developers that I've worked with and the client have had more empathy for the user. Um, it puts us more in their shoes. I've found that instead of the, the I want to section of both of those for job stories becomes more of a motivation instead of an action. Um, and it leads to more of a conversation about what the problem is, and what we're trying to solve. And then the other issue that I've had in the past with user stories is they get manipulated. And a lot of the time, they they get manipulated so that it is more of a solution rather than proposing a problem. And a lot of the time, clients or designers or developers will leave off the uh, outcome or benefit. And I haven't done as many projects, nearly as many projects with job stories as user stories, but I didn't see that happen nearly as much. And I don't know, maybe, maybe it was just because of those projects, but I, I'm, I'm hoping that because of the language shift, um, it makes us want to complete the sentence rather than with the user story. The sentence felt pretty much complete after the action. right? Um, and I feel like that's why a lot of people just stopped there.
1: It's probably worth noting, we didn't invent jobs stories, right? Uh, so s- someone came up
2: with them besides someone at ThoughtBot. Who, who was that? Uh, is alan clement i think yeah I mean, i'm probably butchering his last name but um he's a i believe he's a
1: freelance designer in new york city and you give the examples in the blog post so that a user story format would be as a developer i want a badge on my profile that when i'm a top poster uh, when i'm a top poster so that people know i'm a top poster and that redundancy actually is something i think. You commonly see in the traditional story format, like I want this solution so that I have this solution. And it's like, well, I didn't really add the anything there, and I think that so that get, like you said, gets left off. So, rephrasing that in job story format would be, when I'm one of the top posters for a topic, I want it to show on my profile so that people know that I'm an expert in the subject. And you can obviously, you know taking that job story, you can obviously put that expert in a subject kind of thing back into the user story. But I think the point is, and and I've seen this as well, we've started using jobs stories on the product that I'm working on. And it just flows more naturally, and it comes out more naturally. And it feels great, actually. I'm getting a level of satisfaction out of feeling like I'm not working around the system I'm actually getting something out of writing it this way in a way that's causing me to think about what's actually valuable about this and who's do or and not who's doing it because the reality is that the user uh persona doesn't really matter very much in a lot of the products we work on it's like as a user or as an admin, as an admin that's not valuable information so prioritizing at the beginning of the sentence like When this is happening, what context it's happening is actually a lot more valuable. So, I'm getting a lot of value out of uh, using the job stories format. And I didn't start using it until after you published your blog post. So, I was coming at it brand new, and it's been about two weeks, but I'm getting a lot of satisfaction out of it.
2: It's funny that you say that I I didn't even think about that, that I would say like 90% of the projects it is as a user or as a admin Mm -hmm. and on a few of projects, I I always try to like, you know, be more descriptive. Uh, but I don't know if that ever really caught on. So yeah, I, I totally agree. Like a lot of the times as a user, it's pretty much meaningless. Um, it doesn't add any value to the designer or developer as they're, they're trying to look through the stories.
1: So Adish, you haven't been on a product that uses job stories yet, right? Not yet. Yeah. So the way things work, actually, I think we've talked about this uh, in the past on the podcast, is that new things at ThoughtBot, changes in the way that we work, get research cards created. We have a Trello board that the whole company has access to and pays attention to, and people who are trying different things create a card there, describe the thing that they're trying and what they think the outcome will be. And we track it as they're doing it. And then, and, you know, people watch it and try it out and give their feedback on it. And then eventually something gets declared either a success or a failure. And then the rest of ThoughtBot will start to pick it up. It'll go into the playbook, that kind of thing. It'll get a blog post, that kind of thing. So job stories, have been something that people in New York and Philly and in Boston on the product that I'm working on, we're doing, they've been officially declared a success and we get a blog post and then they'll start to be picked up among the rest of the teams at ThoughtBot too, hopefully. Yeah,
0: Yeah. we're doing them out here in San Francisco and that research board is my favorite thing about working here. It's learning from everyone else in the company, running experiments and it's really the scientific almost tone mm-hmm. under which we can have discussions. It's not people attacking opinions or being very personal. It's really like this is why this worked for me. Um, it may not work in every situation, but it seems to have this benefit. Right. And it's super helpful.
1: Yeah, well we'll have so for example, it, you know, we would have a card and you know we didn't we weren't doing the research board back when this transition happened, but we would potentially have a card that says you know, let's experiment without doing story points. Here's the problems I see with them. And we would then have one or two teams who are interested in doing that experiment start to try it and track their progress and give feedback on what's working, what's not working. And I think that that outlook of like the answer to like, why do we do something a certain way can never be because that's the way we've always done it. And I think it can't even necessarily be like, because that's what works well. Uh, Because I fundamentally believe things can always be better. Things will even just in some ways different is better. Um, Just trying new things will lead you to those better things. So I encourage people, encourage everyone listening to question the status quo. Think about what you're doing and try and experiment new things. And if your team tries placing less emphasis on story points and velocity or getting rid of it entirely and it seems to be working for you that's what really matters it is about people over process and over the tools we use and it's about creating better products and being happier in our work and if you're doing that then it actually doesn't really matter what you do (laughs) and if story points work for your team and you've questioned that assumption and you've experimented with it and you come to the conclusion that this is better for us i actually think that that's valid um, and I, I don't think that story points are necessarily completely bad across the board and will never work. I mean, what do you think, adish
0: Yeah, I agree. I think these are all situational positions. One, the, one of the things I've started hearing people say around the company is that we have a lot of strong opinions loosely held, and that's how I view this. Is, you know, For us as a consulting firm who've seen a lot of different software projects, this is what we've seen work well for our team in this situation. But I think it's really dangerous to be prescriptive and to say, you know, this is what the best thing for everyone. Right. Um, one, actually, I opened a story, I opened a, a research Trello card recently. I'm curious to get live feedback from both of you on it. Um, we had a couple projects that ended up going pretty long last year without launching, and that ended up having, I would say, a non-optimal effect on both the product and the team i think if we would have had the option we would have rather launched something earlier and chad when you and i were talking about this you said well at some point we used to just say we have to launch in three months mm-hmm. and that's just what we have to do and uh, that arbitrary deadline is a really helpful tool to work within it's sort of the ideal idea of working within constraints to maximize creativity um, so I've started telling people when we're talking about new projects, hey, you know, we're going to launch in three months, and then after that we may continue to work on the project, but we need to have users by then. Is this something that you guys used to do before? And then I'm curious to hear how it may affect the product design process from Kyle. I want to know why
2: aren't you launching sooner? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure.
0: Yeah, that, I mean, that's a that's a great point.
2: So our, our last project uh, from Philly, we launched in three months and the biggest problem we had was that we didn't have users earlier enough and we wanted to launch probably you know a couple of weeks into the project. Yeah, no, I think I think we should be pushing to launch as soon as possible, because the way that we make good products is having people use them and seeing how people use them and seeing if we're solving the right problems for those users.
1: I think there's a constant struggle between working with a sense of urgency and working within constraints and working at a sustainable pace and and all the other practices that we have. I think there's a way to do it that is generally pretty successful. And to be sort of upfront and honest about what the goals are and what you're trying to do. And I, I rail against all the time arbitrary deadlines that don't really matter. I think that that's really common at startups, really common in general when someone's like, you know, we need to launch by this date. Otherwise we're screwed. And and in reality, a lot that's just not really true. So it's important to have open, honest conversations about why you're setting the date and say, you know, this is a healthy constraint for us. We're going to be able to get customer feedback sooner. We're going to be able to create something better, not like, we need to launch at this date and not discussing the reasons why. And coupled with a really healthy sense of urgency about bringing something to market and getting customer feedback soon, I'm a big fan of that. So as long as everyone understands you know what's actually happening, I think it can be a really valuable tool. But then you need story points to know whether you're going to hit that date or not, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, I think that the shift over the last two years... Definitely, I can speak for us in San Francisco <laughs> to push projects to talk to users really frequently right. has flipped all of this around. And right. then the prioritization process is like, well, this is the number one thing we heard from users, and we need to solve this problem. Right, And when users are like, yeah, this is solving my problem. This is able allowing me to schedule meetings better or whatever it is. Then you're like, okay, well, maybe this is a comfortable resting point, and we can reflect on what the next set of features is. And then you get away from this whole kind of calendar-based world where you have, you're trying to kind of overplan everything, and it really does get away from, like, what is the point? We're trying to write software to solve people's problems. And if we're not doing that, then all the rest of this doesn't matter. Then the businesses fall apart, then the startups don't get traction, they don't grow, and, you know, the wheels call off.
1: Well, I think that might be an excellent stopping point. Show notes for this episode can be found at giantrobots.fm slash 132. If you've got feedback about story points, velocity, estimating stories, project management in general, you can email us at hosts at thoughtbot.com or tweet to us at ThoughtBot. I'm CPytel on Twitter. And how can you guys best be reached?
2: I'm Kyle Fiedler at Twitter.
0: And I'm Adarsh P. It's A-D-A-R-S-H-P. And you can hear me there spouting off on other topics. <laughs>
1: <laughs> thank you both for joining me today. Yeah, thanks, Chad. Thank John. you, Kyle. And thank you all for listening. Talk to you next week.